0: You're listening to the Scotts Hill Podcast, which features our Sunday sermons. If you would like to learn more about what God is doing in the life of Scotts Hill Baptist Church, visit our website at scottshill.org. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. This is the last time that you will see that bump because we are finishing up our study on 1 Timothy this morning. And so before we begin that, I just want to give you a couple of other pieces of information that I forgot to tell you about earlier. And that is, um, we are starting a Christmas series next week called Loss and Found. It's going to be a two-part series leading us in up to Christmas. We have our Christmas Eve service services on Saturday evening, but we will not have any Christmas day services on Sunday here at Scotts Hill. We will not meet together on campus, but what we will do is have a video for all of the families to tune into at a particular time, at the same time that we go on live at 915. You can join with us. There'll be a devotional thought for you and your family as your family gathers together to worship and then enjoy the day. We will um, move back to our regular schedules on New Year's Day. We will have services. We'll have preaching. We'll have everything else. But on Christmas Day this year, we will not have services. Give us all of our families an opportunity to travel and be together. You know, when people give last words, they're really pretty significant. And so what I did this past week, I looked through, um, Googled a number of famous people who had last words. It was said of P.T. Barnum, his last words were, how were the receipts today? (laughs) Then there's another interesting fellow by the name of Jack Daniels. His last words were, how about another drink? And then I found out this one particular guy that says that redneck's last words are always, hey, watch this. (laughs) And some of you may have done that. And then there are serious people who have some last words. Billy Graham. His last words were, glory, glory, glory. My mom, when she was on her deathbed, her last words were, I see Jesus. And so last words are significant because they really speak about the things that have been really seriously important in our lives. As we come to 1 Timothy and get in chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 20 and 21, just two verses today. And the apostle Paul gives to Timothy and he gives to the church and he gives to you and me some of his last words of instruction for the church. So, if you would take your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 20, we're going to look at those, but I want to remind you of where we've been. As we looked at this letter, we saw that this is one of the most prescriptive letters in Scripture about how the church is to function. So 1 Timothy really is a letter for the church, but not just for the people in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but for Scotts Hill today. And so as we looked at this letter, we saw that the key verse was chapter three, where he says that he wants to teach us how to conduct ourselves in the household of God. And in this letter, we can break it down into three pillars. And I've said this before. Those pillars are guard the gospel. He begins with this in chapter one. He ends with this in chapter six. This is a serious thing, to guard the gospel. Secondly, to govern the church. And in chapter three, we see all the ways that God has given to us for the church to be governed with biblical, godly leadership. And then we looked at guide for godly living. All through this epistle are guides for godly living. But today, as we wrap up this series, we want to look at the last words that Paul gives to Timothy. Now, these certainly are not the very last words that Paul gives to Timothy because he writes another letter. Second Timothy is Paul's very last writing before he's executed. And it is, again, addressed to Timothy. And he covers some of the same things over and over. But in this passage that we read today, consider as Paul is speaking to Timothy, as he's speaking to you and me, these last words. Here's what he says. "O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Join me as we pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that even when we read closing statements like this, we can read them so simply and passing and not even think about the depths of truths that you have for us. And I pray, Father, that as we unpack these two simple verses, that you would challenge our hearts today as we continue to desire to be everything you want us to be as a church at Scotts Hill. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, in these two verses, the apostle Paul does four things. First, he begins by sharing something of his heart, and we see his emotions. And then he gives two charges to Timothy and what he is to carry out. And finally, he concludes it with some reminder for us of how we are to live for his glory in the church. So there are just simply four points that I want to give you today as we wrap this up. The first thing that we see in this passage is that there is a devotion to be followed. There's a devotion for people that Paul lays out for us that should be a reflection in our hearts of how we really genuinely care for people. The apostle Paul genuinely cared for Timothy. A matter of fact, the letter begins, he says to Timothy, my true child in the faith. He's saying, You're my true child. He was not just a convert of the Apostle Paul. He was not just a disciple of the Apostle Paul. He became intimately acquainted with Paul in all of his ministries, a partner as he served together in the ministry, a devoted follower of Christ whom Paul can leave behind in a church in a pagan area that was suffering and attacking him. He said, you are my true child. But then he concludes with these two words, Oh, Timothy. You know, a lot of times we'll read these words and we'll read right past them. But there is so much emotion in those two words, particularly the first word, Oh. Let me tell you what he's not saying to Timothy. He's not saying, Oh, by the way, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, well, listen to me now, Timothy. You must guard the deposit that is entrusted into you. He's not saying it that way. The way he's saying it is with incredible emotion. It is as though the apostle Paul is saying, oh, Timothy, Timothy, listen to me. If there's nothing else you hear, oh, Timothy, listen to my heart. And here it is. Guard that which has been deposited into you. Avoid, Timothy, at all costs. Oh, Timothy, if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. Do you hear the emotion that's pouring into it? It reminds us of the Lord Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem on that donkey. In Luke's gospel, in 13, he says this. He sees Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills its prophets and stones those who go to it. Oh, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her broods, but you would not. This is not something that is just a statement. This is something that is visceral. This is something that is deep. This is something that he cares so much about Timothy that he's poured his whole emotions into it. It reminds me of a parent who might be saying to their student who's going off to college, oh, oh, listen to me, listen to me. You represent Christ well when you go there. You're going to be exposed to all kinds of lies and errors, but oh, oh, guard your heart at all things. It's the student pastor who's crying out to his students in the ministry saying, oh, listen to me. When you're on that campus, people are going to be watching your life. Oh, listen carefully. Pay close attention. Do not let your guard down. It's the cry of this pastor to you as a body that I've shepherded for almost 29 years. And the cry of my heart is the same, just saying, oh, church, listen, what grace we have been given What incredible blessings we have. What great opportunities we have to model Christ. Oh, walk in a godly way in this world that your life will transform others. That's the picture here. A couple of years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, my son Ryan and Katie moved from here and went to Atlanta. And while they were in Atlanta, Chris and I went to visit them on one occasion. And as we went to visit them, we stayed in their home, and they said, hey, we want to take you out to breakfast. We've got some special news to share with you. And so we go to breakfast, and Chris and I are thinking, what would the special news be? Are they moving away, going off to the West Coast like they had talked about? Or are they going to tell us that they're expecting? By the way, they are expecting they will have their first child in February. So just want to let you know that. So what was it that they wanted to tell us? And Ryan, Ryan was really nervous. Now, Ryan grew up in this church. He grew up in ministry, serving. He was on staff here. He went to seminary. He's got a Master's of Divinity degree. And so he's got all of these things. He went to Atlanta for the purpose of ministry, but during COVID, it didn't work out. And as we're sitting at the table, he's really nervous. And he says, Dad, I, I got to tell you something. He said, I, I just don't feel at this point God has called me into ministry, and I hope you're not disappointed in me. And my heart's cry was just, oh, Ryan, Ryan, I can, I, I'm not disappointed in you. Ryan, listen to me. Your mom and I are not so much concerned at what you do as who you are. And you need to understand, Ryan, that there's no difference for a child of God between the sacred and the secular career. Because in Christ, all things are sacred. And I just told him, Ryan, don't you ever forget, your mom and I are always proud of who Jesus, what Jesus is doing in you. It was that cry. You know, so many times we have heartfelt cries about the wrong things. We have heartfelt, um, heartfelt cries about our kids being well-adjusted. Or maybe our children living as great athletes or getting the scholarships or that we could get that career. But how many times do we have that kind of passion for our spouses? How many times do we have that kind of passion for our children that we would cry over them at night? How many times do we have that passion for one another as believers in the body of Christ. This is this deep, visceral, emotional connection with one another that we challenge one another on because the Lord Jesus himself does the same for us. Oh, how I long for you, dear son, dear daughter, to walk along these things. So Paul ends with this, this example for you and me to follow. That as we continue on as a church, that our fellowship and our intimacy with one another is not something that is just surface. It's not something that we just say hello to one another on, but it is deep. It is emotional. It's visceral to the point that we care so much for one another that it breaks our own hearts when we're not walking in unity or in holiness or in godliness. That's the kind of church that God wants us to be. So there's a devotion for one another to be followed. How do you get that devotion? You pray for people. You pray for people. Do you realize the more you pray for people, the more you become intimately in knowledge with them and the more you care about them? So prayer is the key as we pray for one another. So there's this devotion to be followed. But here's the second thing Paul says. There is a duty to be fulfilled. He tells Timothy, not only do, should you follow the same devotion that I have for you, but there's a duty for you to be fulfilled. And he says this, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. In 2 Timothy uh, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 14, he says the same thing. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The only time these words are used are used by the Apostle Paul, and they're used here. The only time in all of the New Testament. And the word guard is very significant. When we think of the word guard, we think of people with maybe in that day spears and swords and shields guarding someone who is important, protecting them. Or maybe in our day, we might think of secret service agents or military with automatic weapons guarding something. The word guard literally means to keep safe or to put in a safe place. And the word deposit means to be put into someone and is entrusted to that individual. In other words, they have a stewardship of something that they are to protect. And he's telling Timothy, you must guard, you must keep safe this deposit that has been given to you. Now, what is the deposit? Many scholars ask, and and they answer it a number of different ways. Some scholar says the deposit is just simply this letter that the apostle Paul has given. Keep this letter. And some say, no, 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 no. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to keep the gospel and protect it. And others say, no, it's the broader sense of the gospel. It's all of Christian orthodoxy. Which one is it? It's all of those. It's all of those. It is the gospel in its simplest form, but it's in, it also the gospel in a broader sense and that we must guard the gospel. Now, listen to me. Every single follower of Christ, every single son and daughter of God has been given a deposit. Number one, you have the Holy Spirit living in you and he is the seal of your salvation until the day of redemption. He never leaves you but also deposited in you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we say the gospel, we're talking about the totality of God's word. And how is the gospel protected? It's protected in the totality of God's word, within orthodoxy, within sound biblical doctrine. All of these things are very important. And we have a responsibility as children of God to guard that gospel, to make sure that it's ac- ac- accurately communicated because when we guard the gospel, then we are actually making sure that what we share with others is accurate and has the power of God unto salvation. So how do we guard it? How do you and I guard the gospel? Let me give you five things. They all rhyme. Ready? Number one, know it. Know it. You guard the gospel, first of all, by knowing the word of God, knowing the gospel. Because if you don't know the gospel, you can't share it with others, and if you don't know the gospel, you can't protect yourself from false teaching. We are to know the word of God. Now, this is so important. Uh, Most Christians today, if somebody walked up to them and said, can you tell me what the gospel is, most of them cannot adequately speak the gospel. We just don't know. And that's a sad thing to say that Christians today are illiterate when it comes to the Word of God. But we are to know the Word of God. That means we are to read the Word of God. We are to spend time in the Word of God. But we're to know it because knowing it protects me and it protects others. A couple of Saturdays ago, I, had a, I was out in my front yard raking leaves. Anybody else here rake leaves? <laughs> I mean, this is the season. I raked them all up, and now you should see my yard now. It's fall back. And so I'm raking leaves, and this pickup truck pulls up full of people in it. And a guy gets out. He opens the door. He says, hello there. Good morning. Boy, do I have some good news for you. I thought, man, that's a pretty good line. I like that. And then I said, are you Jehovah's Witnesses? He said, yes, we are. And I said, well, come over here and talk to me for a moment. So he walked over and talked to me for a moment. He said, my name is Joe. And I said, you said you have good news for me. Yes, I do. I said, well, here's the problem, Joe. Your news really is not good news. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, let's compare what we believe, okay? I believe Jesus is the son of God, eternal, co-equal with the father. You believe Jesus was created by God as a lower being equal to the angels. I said, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose on the third day. You believe God disposed of his body and he no longer exists as a son of God, but will come back as Michael the archangel. I said, you believe that you have to earn your way into salvation, but the work of Jesus Christ on the cross has done everything we need and I'm saved by grace through faith in him and it's all done in him. You believe that nobody will go to hell and that the most important thing is to tell everybody about the true church, which is yours. We believe that souls without Christ will go to hell, so we go in the neighborhoods to tell people about how to have eternal life. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life and I will live forever in the presence of God in eternity with countless saints through the ages. You believe only 144,000 of you will make it there and the rest will be stuck here. And I said, you see, your news really isn't good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ who is the son of God, died to save sinners so we can be with him forever, period. I said, who do you got in your car with you? He said, I got people I'm training today. I said, Joe, you and I are not brothers. We can be friends, but you're not going to convince me and I'm not going to convince you only God can, and I pray that he does. He said, thank you, boom, and drove off. <laughs> Went to my neighbor's house and said, ah, don't go there, they go to my church. <laughs> so, so here's the point. If I didn't know, you see, that's where the gospel is so much broader. And let me tell you why this is so important. So many believers cannot defend what cults will teach. And not only that, 40% of Southern Baptists, ex-Southern Baptists, are now involved in cults because they didn't know what to believe. You want to guard the gospel? Listen, know it. Know it. I'm so pleased with our student ministry these days because our student ministry has been pouring into our students, and they know the gospel They can tell you the gospel. They can share their testimony and they can stand with Jehovah's Witnesses or any other cult and be able to make clear the distinction. And I am so pleased what God is doing. Our children's ministry, they are learning the gospel and it's poured into them. And and I think that in many ways, our students and children may know more of the gospel than we as adults know. This February, we're offering a class on how, what is the gospel and how to share the gospel. And you can be a part of that. But listen, you want to guard it? Know it. Here's the second thing. Stow it. Stow it. This is really important. It's one thing to know it here. It's another thing to put it here. You stow it. That means you read it and then you hide it in your heart. You meditate on it. You dwell on it. You think about it. I love what the psalmist says. He says that your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's an old saying that went like this the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. It is absolutely true. And when you and I take the word of God, listen carefully, and hide it in my heart, when circumstances come up and difficulties come up, or maybe questions come up, our heart goes to what we know of God's word and it comes out. Last week, I spent some time with a young lady by the name of Chandler. Wonderful, wonderful young lady. Really got to know her really well. She graduated from college. She's working in D.C. And she's going to a church there in D.C. And she asked me the question. She said, do you know anything about this church? And I said, yes, I know some about it. Do you know something about the pastor? And I said, yes, I do. And I was very careful not to just jump in to say what I disagreed with because I didn't know where she fell. And she said, well, I have some challenges with some of the things that he's been teaching. I said, is that right? And she says, yeah. She says, it's a wonderful church, wonderful fellowship. I love the fellowship, but there's something off with the teaching. And there's something in my spirit that has been checked with that, and it doesn't match what I understand. She said, they're a very emotional church, very experiential church. So how do you know when you can trust emotion and experience? I said, you can't. You can't. Here's why. Why? The Bible is the filter for your life. It filters everything. If my emotions don't match what the Bible says, I can't trust my emotions. If my experience doesn't match what the Bible teaches, I can't trust my experience. If the words that I hear don't match what the Bible says, I can't trust what those words have just said. And the thing that I loved about that young lady was this. She had enough of the word of God stowed within her That when she went to a place, she knows that there were some questionable things, and God is protecting her and the gospel. So you know it, you stow it, you grow it, you grow it. That means, that just simply means you grow in it, you spend time in it, read it. I read the Bible for at least four different reasons for information, inspiration, preparation and transformation. That's why I read it. And every year I read through the Bible. And this is my fourth year of completing my my yearly reading through the Bible. I'm going to change it up this year because I use an app. How many of you use an app to read through the Bible? A lot of us do. I get lazy with an app I discovered. And so this year, I'm not going to use the app. I may use the schedule for the app, take the copy of scripture out so I can write notes, highlight, and do things like that. But you grow in it. And you grow in your knowledge of God's word. Here's the fourth thing. Show it. You show it. It's one thing to internalize the word of God. It's another thing for it to be externalized by the way I live. We're to live our life in such a way that what is being put in me is going out and impacting the lives of other people. We show it by the way we live our life. I love the story of a group of uh, Bible students who were in this coffee shop one day, and they were discussing about what is the best translation to be used. One Bible student said, oh, I believe the King James. I just love the poetic nature of the King James Version. Another person says, well, I particularly like the New American Standard because the New American Standard follows very closely to the Greek and the Hebrew. The young lady said, well, I like the Message Bible because of its contemporary nature. And as they're discussing it, this old man gets up from his table. He says, you want to know the best kind of translation there is out there today? And they all listen. They said, what is it? He said, the kind that is lived. He's exactly right. And so we're to show the Word of God. And as we show it, We are guarding the gospel that has been entrusted into us, and we're sharing it with other people. And here's the last one. We sow it. We sow it. That means we spread it. That means we tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to guard the gospel, these are the things we have to do. These are the things that have been entrusted into you and to me. And these are the ways that we can live out the truth of Scripture as we encounter people and circumstances in all situations of life. So there's a devotion, he says, to be followed. There's a duty to be fulfilled. Guard what is entrusted to you. Thirdly, there's a danger in which to flee. There's a danger. What is the danger? Here's what he says. Matter of fact, he says it twice. He says, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. He says, be careful, avoid these things. Matter of fact, he said it earlier in chapter four, verse seven, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. In other words, he's saying this, put all of your focus on the truth of God's word, all of your focus on the centrality of the gospel all of your focus on speaking truth that has been given to us by God in his word, stay away from all of the conspiracy stuff. Stay away from the myths and the silly genealogies. And it was very important because there was a group that was coming up in the church. He says, stay away from the so-called knowledge. The word knowledge in Greek is gnosis. There was a group that later grew out of that called Gnosticism, And these Gnostics believed in just acquiring knowledge. And they had a mixture of Greek philosophy, Eastern mysticism, and Jewish legalism. In other words, they had something for everyone. He says, stay away from that silly stuff. Don't waste your time on stuff that will not make a difference in eternity. And Christians so many times can do that and we get so sidetracked. Here's why the enemy wants us to be there so we could get distracted from the truth of the gospel that has the power of God unto salvation. I had a man come to my office one day and he wanted to talk to me. He called me he said, I got to talk to you about something. Man, this is so important. I need your help in this. I said, okay. He comes to my office. He says, have you ever heard of the Mandela effect? And I said, yeah, I heard something about the Mandela effect. And he says, well, you know, the Mandela effect is when people remember things that are differently than what they really are. And and the Mandela effect goes like this, that most people think that Mandela died in the 1980s on Robben Island as a prisoner. A lot of people say that, but the reality is he didn't die until 2013 as a free man. And so the Mandela effect is a real phenomenon where people forget certain events, dates, and the ones that they remember, they think are accurate, but it's not real. Let's take a test right now on this and see how well it works. I got some products here for you. Okay, is it Jiffy peanut butter or Jiff peanut butter? How do you remember it? What? How many say Jiffy? Jiffy, raise your hand. Okay, how many say Jif? Okay, it is actually Jif, peanut butter. But most people would say jiffy. All right, this is a big one. Is it Berenstain Bears or the Berenstein Bears? How many say stein? Yeah, you're all wrong. It's actually Berenstain. <laughs> now, I know what one of, many of you want to do right now. You want to Google. Do not do this now. Is it Oscar Mayer or is it Oscar Mayer? How many say Mayer? You're wrong. It's actually Oscar Mayer. Go look at the package and you will see it. The Flint Stones or the Flint Stones? What is it? How many say Flint? Flint. How many say Flints? Flints, you're wrong. It is actually the Flint Stones. Some of you are thinking, what is the point of this silliness? (laughs) You were just telling us not to get involved in this, and you're telling us about it. Here's why. This man came in my office, and it wasn't just that people are getting the dates wrong. Here was his problem. All the dates and things that we actually think were right are right. But we live in this parallel universe, and the parallel universe is interacting with ours, and it's changing things up. And it's messing us up. It's even done it to the Bible. I said, how? He said, in Isaiah eleven six, it says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. It's the lion shall dwell with the lamb. And now it says wolf, so they're even changing scripture. And so I got up and I got my lexicon and my Hebrew lexicon. We went to the passage. I said, look, there it is. It says wolf. He goes, wow, they changed it there too. And my point was, brother, what difference does this make in eternity? Whether it's a wolf or a lamb, it's, it's the reconciliation between two enemies. And I said, what you have to understand is you're so distracted. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? Jesus. And listen, we can do the same thing with end times. We can be so caught up into who is going to be the Antichrist. What is the right approach? When is he coming back that we can talk all about those things and people who need to hear about Jesus never hear about Jesus because they only hear about that. Now, I'm not saying those things are not important, but they're secondary because the important thing is always the gospel that has been entrusted in you. Here's the last thing he says, that when we do this, there's a dependence for our fight. There's a dependence. Here it is. Grace be with you. The shortest ending of any of Paul's letters, grace be with you. In 2 Timothy, he says, The Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you. Now, grace means unmerited favor. Grace is two kinds of grace it's saving grace that we experience in our relationship with Jesus Christ as we surrender to Him. We receive His unmerited favor that we do not deserve when we yield our life to Christ. Saving grace. But there's a sustaining grace as well. The sustaining grace is the grace that we need to be able to live effectively as believers every day. And that's the kind of grace he's talking about here. The sustaining grace. May God's sustaining grace be with you. Why is that important? Because the sustaining grace I needed yesterday may not be the same kind of grace I need today. Because today I'm going to face circumstances that I didn't face yesterday. I'm going to face people that I didn't face yesterday. And the scripture says his mercies are new every morning. I love the fact that God does not give stale grace, but every day it's fresh. And he's saying, you can do these things through my sustaining grace. And he says, you be with you. He's that, that is not singular. He's not talking to Timothy. He's talking to the whole church. Grace be with you all. Which proves what I've always said. Paul was a Southerner. (laughs) But be grace with you all. Be grace. Grace be with all believers in the body of Christ. And if I could put it down and look at what we've looked at in this whole letter, here's what it would sound like. It is only through the grace of Christ that we can stand against counterfeit gospels. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can live out the glorious gospel in our own lives. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can develop a powerful prayer life. It is only through his grace that we can recognize the differences between men's and women's roles in the church and work in unity together. It is only through the grace of Christ that we can submit to the spiritual leadership of godly elders. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can care for the various needs in a body through deacons and members. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can serve Christ faithfully regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can detect false teachers and teaching among us. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can live with contentment in what we have and where we are. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can live as men and women of God. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we can be the church that God wants us to be. See, the problem is we can't do all these things or any of these things in and of ourselves. It is all the work of God's grace in us. So what does that mean? It means we're to be a grace-filled people. We are all to recognize that none of us would be where we are except for the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. And if his grace is unmerited towards us, then I don't need to try to work to earn to please him. God is pleased only by the work that Christ has accomplished on the cross. And because of his grace, it is my pleasure to obey his will for his glory. Grace. And as we move forward as a body of Christ, may we do so in that abundant grace as we love one another and serve one another. And as we're gracious to a lost world that desperately needs the message of the gospel in a time where it's rejecting it more than any other time. And so believers, we are called to do these things in God's grace. If you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, you're not a believer, you've never trusted Christ, I want you to hear me clearly today that the Lord Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, that he loves you with an infinite amount of love, that he gave his life on the cross for you. He took on God's wrath for sin so you would not have to. He rose from the dead on the third day to validate that everything he ever said is true, and he is exactly who he said he is. And he is alive today, And his desire is that you would come to him. That you would admit that he is savior of the world and that you are a sinner. And the only way you can be set free from those sins and addictions is to surrender them at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the only one in the universe who wants the junk of people's lives so that they may be made whole. And today, he's pleading with you to surrender so that you can experience this kind of grace that is unmerited, undeserving, and unending for the rest of your life. I want to encourage you to consider Christ and to consider surrendering your life to him today. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And as a church we're going to stand and sing one song in closing. And that song is singing about the greatness and the adoration that we have towards God and our commitment to walk in grace as a body of Christ. So would you stand right now? I'll close us in prayer and we'll sing. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you, Father, for the challenge that you have given to us. And Father, while we read these things and we hear these things in our own hearts, we feel that this is impossible. We cannot possibly live up to these standards. And Father, we know that through your grace and through your mercy and through the power of your Holy Spirit, there are things that we're able to do that we've never been able to do in the flesh. And yet, Father, we will still fail but you accept us by the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to us because of what he did on a cross. And so, Father, we stand in humility today and we thank you for what you've called us to be and may we be the church that you desire Scotts Hill to be for your glory and for the good of our community. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at Scotshill.org slash next steps. Till next time.